Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Get French Football News show. So I'm sure 2020 has been a crazy year for all of you listening, and it certainly has been for French football as well. But the high point this year was undeniably the August Champions League Final 8 in Portugal, with Lyon making it to the semi and PSG all the way to the final. Well, it's time to get excited again, because the European Cup returns this week, and uh, PSG host Manchester United, both teams approaching the match with many absentees. Marseille travelled to Greece with a big win under their belt from the weekend, while Rennes, still undefeated in Ligue 1, still failed to defeat Dijon in the approach to their match versus Krasnodar. We'll go through all of those today, plus uh, Lille and Nice, who will be in the Europa League as well. And uh, to finish up, we'll take a look at Ligue 1's upcoming financial problems following uh, their failing TV deal with Media Pro. I'm your host, Pierre-Paul Birmingham. Mohamed Ali, good evening. Good evening, everyone. Uh, thanks again for having me on. Yeah, always a pleasure. Uh, also with us, Eric Devin. Hey, Pierre-Paul, you got it right this time. Yeah, finally. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and Philippe Bargel is here too. Yeah, good evening. Thanks. Uh, good to be back after two weeks. Yeah, it has been a little while, Phil. Good to have you on. Uh, so, so, Phil, why don't we start with you, uh, with PSG, who obviously uh, starting their Champions League campaign tomorrow evening against Manchester United after, after what was their best ever Champions League campaign. Uh, on Friday, though, uh, they played away to Nîmes with many absent players, got a 4-0 win, uh, with the caveat that Nîmes got a red card after only 12 minutes. Uh, that was Loic Land for a pretty horrific uh, high foot on Rafinha. What did you think of PSG's approach, uh, Phil, given that you know, so many players were, were missing? Well, there were players missing, but there was also um, a debut for Rafinha, uh, who, uh, who's on loan from, uh, from Barcelona. There was a debut for Moïse Keane. And the only real notable absentee, I would say, was, uh, was Neymar, and uh, you felt that he was being rested for Manchester United um, on Tuesday, so you know, tomorrow. Of course, the red card changed a lot. It basically changed the whole game because Nîmes looked up for it, and they were still up for it, even after being down to, down to 10 men. I thought um, they, they still wanted to, uh, you know, to, to, to dominate. Uh, probably not uh, pouring up possession all over the pitch, but uh, to uh, basically not uh, not to give up on uh, on a uh, on a thrashing because it ended four 0 But there's um, the goals really were very hard to come by. There was a lot loads of headers. Uh, the uh, Nîmes goalkeeper Baptiste Renner had a had a great game. I mean, he stopped some. Uh, he was very quick to get um, to get down to make some saves, especially from headers. Uh, we saw that uh, Kylian Mbappe is still not uh, quite, uh, with, it's much better with his feet. So he actually scored the opening goal and uh, and it was it was a relief because uh, René was having one of those games where you thought, OK, that guy is going to stop everything we, we saw at him. And it proved because we only scored the second goal with 12 minutes to go. So really, really strong game from, uh, from René and Nîmes basically cracked... Um, it's basically quite towards towards the end, so you know, uh, not uh, not going to complain. I thought Rafinha was uh, was good. I thought uh, he he looked he looked table on the ball, but there was uh, there was still um, uh, quite a bit of space, you know, between the lines because Nîmes had to revert to four four one after the after the sending off. 
well, all in all, it was uh, it was an okay performance, but again, very very much helped by uh, Lance um, sending off. Yeah, and that really spoke through some of the statistics as well. I mean, PSG having eighty percent of possession, having mm. thirty shots, not all on target, of course, uh, but, but that's still a lot. Uh, Kylian Mbappe scored two goals. I mean, I think a lot of people weren't sure he was going to play because he had played for France just 48 hours before, but uh, he seemed to be in form for sure. Uh, what did you think of Pablo Sarabia, who also got a goal and, and two assists? I actually thought, actually thought for um, Kylian Mbappe's uh, very, very high standard that he he didn't have the best of uh, best of games. I thought um, it was it was almost an, an off night, which is very uh, ironic because you know it, it, it still. I think a lot of players would be uh, ecstatic about having such a performance being being an off night. Um, and in terms of uh, yeah, the rating as yeah, a rating of Sarabia, thought it was one of uh, one of his better games. He linked uh, linked quite quite well between the lines. It was uh, it was also um, I mean overall that there was really nothing to be, to uh, to be uh, to complain about about any of the players really. And also a pleasant surprise in in another recruit who you haven't mentioned yet, um, Alessandro Florenzi, who scored his his this is his second goal I think for PSG, right? Yeah, it wasn't his debut though. I think no, he I, played. Yeah, yeah no, that's what played. I'm saying. He, yeah. but you know he scores again and he's he's a right back so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, again, he it's it's like in the uh, Aussie appearances. I don't know how many games it's been now, uh, two or three, I think. And uh, always uh, willing to uh, to get forward. And everybody, I mean, it's been you know one hundred percent a positive uh, a positive signing, a positive loan mm-hmm. signing, uh, because he knows he can go, he can get forward. He knows we're going to have the ball uh, very very often. Uh, in the league, and uh, he's going to have his uh, his first class out. I would, I suppose, he's going to start tomorrow evening, and he will get his first first crack at uh, at Champions League with uh, uh, with us. So, yeah, again, it, it's it's almost uh, it's almost standard. Uh, we're almost already accustomed to to Florenzi playing very very high up the pitch. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the interesting match obviously in the Champions League is tomorrow evening PSG against Manchester United, uh, a rematch from from two years ago uh, in the round of 16. The other two teams in that group are RB Leipzig and Istanbul Basakşehir. Um, Phil, I mean, I, I think a lot of people were hoping for a return from a, a Cavani return at the Parc des Princes tomorrow, but he'll be missing the match. Um, yeah, it, it, that's a pity, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the mood around here is um, is much much uh, much more like uh, uh, need to uh, need to put uh, Manchester United back in their place, like we we were supposed to do uh, two years ago. I mean, there's a the wound is still very raw, uh, especially I mean, at least at least to me, um, because. Yes, so some of those uh, again. Um, it's really a, a tie we shouldn't have been knocked out. Al. So uh, it's it's more it's more like uh, like PSG have to win very convincingly tomorrow evening. And uh, and to be fair, um, I, I really don't I really don't agree with uh, with most of the of the fans and the ultras. But uh, uh, Cavani uh, left under under a cloud. Um, because uh, well, he left under the cloud. The, some fans wanted the um, 
wanted the club to uh, extend his contract for for a season because he wasn't wasn't able to to give his uh, big send off at the Parc des Princes even after uh, uh, after becoming uh, the club's uh, highest scoring. Uh, uh, Goal scorer, I mean, period in the history of the club. So he beat Pauletta, he beat uh, he beat Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Um, but uh, then there were a lot of discussions about Cavani wanting uh, wanting too much money. So Atletico tried to sign him. The wages were too high. Benfica tried to sign him. The wages were too high. And then the only, basically, I think the only clubs out uh, that uh, accepted to to pay those high wages for um, a thirty-plus striker was uh, was Manchester United. So. It's it's really not uh, I, I don't know I, uh, I think the the mood around here is really uh, beat Manchester United and uh, Cavani is almost uh, all news which is a bit which is a bit sad in 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 my book. Yeah, I, I guess that's what the real shame is, is that you know the way that whole yeah. situation ended a few months ago. Um, it's so, disappointing the way it ended. Yeah, Mo uh, Phil says that you know PSG are going to want to set things right against Manchester United. Uh, United aren't going to be missing just Cavani tomorrow, who obviously hasn't even played for them yet. Um, but also, uh, Mason Greenwood is absent. Harry Maguire, the captain, is absent. Uh, is not going to be available either. You know, some people might say that's a good thing uh, given his recent performances. But um, Mo, what do you think of of United's chances coming into this one? Um, well, I think as we've seen um, in the Premier League, um, United in particular have been. Quite error prone, obviously. You know, the standout result was a six-one defeat to to Tottenham last time round, and and obviously just a couple of nights ago, um, they sort of laboured very late on for for what turned out in the end to be a routine win at Newcastle. But if it, it feels like you know they don't really have a specific identity, um, a lot of um, issues, um, particularly in that midfield and a, a defence that's pretty low on confidence as well. Um, you know. Th- it, 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 it will be a challenging game for them because Paris Saint-Germain on, in the inverse have been a very serious side since that defeat to Marseille you know they've only conceded just the one goal um, and that was in itself a 6-1 victory yes it's the league game but um, they've been they've been relatively serious for a while and given the fact that they've gone as far as possible in the Champions League and this is a new campaign and the club in particular Al Khalifa will be looking at this campaign to confirm uh, Paris Saint-Germain's arrival as a, as a potential super club. Um, so he'd want to get um, a great result. And of course, they've got revenge on their minds after that elimination in 2018-19 as well. So I expect, um, because Manchester United are a bit, you know, in England, as we call it, at sixes and sevens, um, haven't really got a coherent uh, plan going on. Um, I expect a, a straightforward sort of fixture um, for Paris Saint-Germain tomorrow. What does that mean, sixes and sevens? Well, they're basically all everywhere. <laughs> they're, they're just caught short and, and really just, you know, a bit all over the place, essentially. Okay, that's an interesting expression. I wasn't familiar with that. Um, uh, Eric, uh, you know, whatever the result against... United is, and there's obviously a kind of, uh, as the others said, a, a vengeance around that match in particular. Uh, globally, the group of United, Istanbul, Besiktas and uh, and Leipzig, uh, you know, PSG should be going through without much trouble there, right? I mean, I think so. Yes, I think that, you know, I, again, we saw last year that you know Leipzig 
can be a dangerous team. I know that they, they have lost Timo Werner, but, um, you know, I, I think PSG just have to be careful. I mean, you know, get four points against United, and, and I think that that's enough to get them through. So win this match, draw at Old Trafford, and then, you know, I would expect six points against Bazaksha here, and, you know, if they could get a point or or three or more from against Leipzig, then that should be enough to see them through and top in the group. But um, I think, you know, this, this match is, yeah, I, yeah, I would say it's probably must win. Um, so in, uh, on one hand, I would, yes, expect them to go through comfortably. On the other, um, there is an incredible amount of pressure on this match because not only in terms of progression, but I think, you know, given how the groups have shaken out, I think PSG will also really, want, really will want to finish top of this group. Um, to avoid what could be a very difficult draw um, in the round of 16. I don't see how you're uh, you're, you're you're feeling about uh, about this uh, uh, living in in France also, uh, Pepe. But uh, mm. I mean, to to me, it doesn't seem like there's uh, as much pressure as uh, as in uh, previous seasons because of of having uh, been in been in the final and because um, this season comes so. So quickly after the after the final eight, so it, it it really doesn't feel like okay this is this time this is our year we have to go beyond the quarterfinal stage for the for the reasons I just mentioned. So there seems to be you know a much more relaxed approach uh, because you know there there is <laughs> there is much more important stuff going on going on in the world like the pandemic and and that I don't know it just it just feels like the media is really less. Uh, Shall we say bothered about the whole thing? Because uh, it usually what what it is uh, every September. But I think that's what I mean. It's like what you're saying is that it's so soon after the last one, and you know it's kind yeah. of coming out as fast, and there's so much else going on that I I don't think people are really into it just yet. But you know, uh, I think no. after one or two matches, um, you know, things will depending on what happens, of course, in those matches. But if it's super exciting, you know, if if PSG beat Manchester United five nil. Or inversely, if Manchester United beat PSG, um, then I think that kind of talk will be coming back uh, pretty quickly too. Um, but you know, give it a, give it a few weeks, and 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 uh, that will be back, I think, indeed. Okay, um, so uh, let's move on then to the next Champions League team. And uh, Mo, this is a team that hasn't played Champions League in many many years, and is uh, very glad to return. Uh, it's Marseille. Uh, and on Saturday, they had a big match against uh, Bordeaux. I mean, Bordeaux are a very big team at the moment, but the Marseille-Bordeaux fixture is an important one in Ligue 1. And, and fairly convincing win for Marseille, right? 3-1? Um, yeah, to, to some extent. I mean, it could have been more, uh, for sure. <laughs> um, had Florian Torvan confidently put away his penalty. Um, but it um, it was a good it was a good result. Um, but I think it still poses a lot of questions and answers because um, we saw on on Saturday night um, the introduction of a new formation. Um, what initially was reported as a four three three turned out to be a four four two diamond with um, Michael Cuisance, um playing in the uh, number ten role in a four four two. Um, Diamond and Dario Benedetto and Florian Tolvan up front, um, which was interesting, and I think it worked to some fantastic effect. In particular, Cuisance had a, had a fantastic game. I thought for for his debut, you know, looked looked very energetic, looked really really good on the ball in in the offensive phases of play. Um, but Dario Benedetto in particular had 
I think, what can be regarded as a shocking game. Um, I think the four out of ten that he got in the keep was was um, pretty pretty fortunate for him. Um, you know, he's got no goals so far. You know, um, in in the league uh, this season and over the last couple of games has looked really just a shadow up front. And um, one thing that was brought to my attention as well um, on on Canal Plus, the broadcaster that that night uh, was the average formation. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, they had the, they had the graphic with the um, each player's average formations, and on on a, on a good day, you know, for for a coherent tactical outlay, you should have you can see sort of which players playing where and seeing what sort of shape the team um, developed. So you had Benedetto um, on a par with Kamara, the defensive centre midfielder, um, which was very very surprised which means he was playing very very deep but he wasn't actually impacting the play or or you know dropping deeper to help possession they were just sort of wandering around because you know he had a game low number of balls touch etc passes and all of those statistics um and again substituted he's been substituted i think nearly all the games so far um he was brought off for uh luis enrique who in his five or six minutes of play looked pretty good in sort of, you know, just running um, at the opposition, recovering balls, etc. Obviously, it was a very short cameo, but it did look uh, really good. So, with with Bubakar Kamara suspended, um, Shatasar injured, and Benteto himself not looking good, um, him, you know, with injury at AVB said after the game, he'll be going off for an MRI. Um, there's, you know, what, what shape will OM take on Wednesday evening against Olympiacos? It remains to be seen. Um, can I ask you guys a couple of questions about, about Bordeaux too on this one before we uh, talk about the Champions League? Um, what, what did you think of Hatem Benarfa, who made his debut for Bordeaux? Um, he, he was, I thought, I thought you know, I, I don't want to blame him because he's only played 150 minutes of football and none, none since uh, July. Um, but other than um, a, a relatively interesting 20 minutes or so, uh, where he initially did put the ball into the net, you know, being sprung through and and being held offside by a very good sort of um, focus from Alvaro, who shifted a little bit forward to catch Ben Arthur offside. After that, I think he just sort of faded into mediocrity. Um, I think fitness is a big issue still. Um, yeah, I just thought from then on he was quite average. He was replaced, I think, just after the hour. Yeah, he was replaced by um, Josh Maja, who who then scored Bordeaux's goal. Who seems to be picking on for Bordeaux. Um, he, he's an interesting player, I think. Um, okay, so Marseille, like you say, are playing in Greece uh, against Olympiakos. Uh, the other two teams in the group are Manchester City and Porto. Uh, do we know if there will be a crowd at uh, the Olympiakos stadium? Yes. Yes. So the Greek government announced today that. Um, there'll be ten percent, which is three thousand fans, um, okay. in in the stadium in Piraeus. So that is a big boom for for Olympiacos. Obviously, we know that that can also be an atmospheric stadium. I think in this current climate, every little helps, I suppose. Well, I, I, about there were about three thousand Olympia Olympiacos fans at the Emirates uh, back in February when they beat Arsenal, and they sure made a lot of noise. So. Um, th- that should be a boost, uh, even with no one else in the stadium, I think. Um, and there's a bit of history there, Mo, as well, because Olympiacos is where uh, Machu Valbuena now plays. Mm-hmm. Indeed. 
Um, he's um, <laughs> going to be an interesting meeting. It will be. I mean, he's still a guy who has OM in his heart, very clearly. I mean, he was delighted to have drawn them when the Champions League draw was made. Um, I think a lot of fans um, have let bygones be bygones. I mean, he's a club legend still. Um, the fact that he's still a starter in the Champions League club at the age of 36 is is really good for him and the longevity of his, his career. Um, but of course, there is a maybe a vocal minority who who uh, still cannot forgive him for for his move uh, to Lyon in, in 2015. Uh, um, a vocal and crafty minority who, yeah, in case anyone's forgotten, you know, sneaky, created exactly. a whole gallo and, and mannequin thing to, uh, uh, well, exactly. you know, you get the picture. <laughs> well, I practically almost killed him. I very much worried <laughs> for his safety on that night um, in 2015. Um, I just thought, there's, I, don't, I just don't see a way how he's going to leave the stadium in one piece. But he did with the thankful help of riot police. Um, and it sounds very weird to say that, but it is what happened. Um, if listeners don't, you know, you might want to Google image that uh, later on. Um, but yeah, you know, he's, 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 he's doing really well. Um, I think he was solid in Europa League in, in August as well. And um, Olympiacos have started the season relatively okay and he was he was formidable in the Champions League qualifies the playoff against Ammonia and Nicosia. Um so yeah, you know, Olympiacos are gonna be a tough ask. They're not exactly the weakest team in, in pot three that OM could have drawn. I mean it could have been Kiev or Salzburg and they are European main states as Arsenal found out as you, to their to their detriment. I think you should, you you may well know that PP. Um absolutely yeah <laughs> but um yeah, it's going to be challenging. But um, one thing that um, I've noticed this season, the trends, is that, you know, AVB and, and Marseille, they flourish when they're A, away from home. It's been, uh, you know, mm. apart from a cup defeat to Lyon, which was quite meaningless in February, I haven't lost away from home um, Italy again, I think, since the Paris Saint-Germain defeat, the 4-0 defeat um, last year. Um, and But still... Yeah, um, I mean, Eric, let me bring you into this as well. I mean, a few, for a few matches now, until this weekend, we were kind of wondering whether Marseille would be the weak link for France in the Champions League because of the kind of, you know, not too strong start of the season. Um, obviously, there was a good result on Saturday, but Mo, like you underlined, there's still a question mark about what the formation is going to be against Olympiacos. How are Marseille going to approach this match? Um, how do we consider the chances are against this group, not just Olympiacos, but also City and Porto. I like them to go through. I do. I, and that's not, that's not me okay. being a homer. I, I think that... Um, <laughs> I, I will say one thing that we should mention as a caveat to, to the result this weekend is that Koscielny uh, uh, was a big miss. Mm. Um, but, but no, I, I think that Porto are, you know, we want to say this, at sixes and sevens. Um, I think that the 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 movement they've had this summer they're not the force that they were you know half a decade ago um and i think that they they're a weak link so i think that you know marseille can get four points out of their matches with olympiacos four points out of their matches with um with porto that should be enough to go through unless you know unless city you know throw match day five or six yeah, I think it's. I think that they're well positioned. I think that, and you know, who knows? Maybe they could even pinch something at the at the velodrome. I think that going to uh, the Etihad. Is that what they call it these days? Yeah, uh, that's right. 
and and getting a result i think is unlikely um i i, I don't if know if Lyon did it marseille feel like well, they do it for sure <laughs> i i know i know okay but but i i don't see uh marseille as being quite as well positioned to play on the counter uh as as are as were Leon in, in getting that result. I mean, yeah. Mo, maybe you see this differently, but I, I, I think I, I think that I don't necessarily see enough pace. Uh, you know, I mean, they've got lovely midfielders. If we think about Rangier, Camara, um, Sanson, but neither neither of them are none of them are particularly fleet of foot. Um, same thing with Payet. Same thing with Trovin. Um, I, I think that there's a different mentality at play there. It doesn't mean I don't think that they they couldn't spring a surprise. I just I just think that. You know, unless we get some, you know, massive level of overthinking on the part of Pep Guardiola, not out of the question. Um, yeah, I, I don't see um, Marseille as well as being as well equipped as Leon were to get a result against them. I, I I agree. I mean, first of all, I just wanted to sort of again, you know, just before um, you're brought in, sort of just make clear that I don't think anybody's expecting Marseille to qualify. I, I had a very good chat with. Uh, a couple of Olympiacos supporters on a on a podcast um, for for Olympiacos last night, and um, I think it was sort of an agreement where it, it is a relatively open group behind Man City. I think there's practically an equal chance to finish second, third, or fourth, depending on how things go. You know, there will be not just um, playing the playing styles and a tactical sort of um, formations, but you've got a lot of other you know factors such as well the stadiums will be empty or four you know you've got perhaps three three of the most atmospheric sort of grounds in Europe and they'll be ringing hollow and how will that affect home advantages etc um you know you've got the fact that the games are coming thick and fast every week um and you've got you know teams like Olympiacos whose league has given them a weekend off so they can better prepare for the Champions League and and so on there'll be a lot of factors and I think Marseille's best goal you know, on paper, is is to qualify for the Europa League, um, but also recognizing that this is the first campaign in seven years, um, and the the goal to reach some sort of, you know, consistency is to learn from this campaign, keep your best players, qualify next year, and build a sort of a team um, that can regularly qualify. Then you can start thinking about last sixteens and and deeper runs, as PSG have done, as, as Marseille and Lyon have done for, for several years back in the last decade. Um, that being said, you know, like I said, like I was going to say about how OM have been good away from home, I was going to also say that they've been very successful where they're not expected to, you know, possess large, um, possess the ball for large amounts of time. They've, you know, op- they've been given the ball away, operating with that low defensive block and really absorbing teams. We saw that in Lyon. We saw that against Paris in, during a friendly. We saw that against Bayern Munich. And it's, it's, it's AVB sort of has an idea where he sort of concedes possession and concedes sort of rhythm to the opposition who are expected, particularly at home, to, you know, have, you know, control of the game offensively. Um, and his team, the way that his team um, are built is that they're happy to just absorb that um, and frustrate your position and then maybe break on the counter and see what result that you can get. On the flip side, where OM had that three um, home games in a row in September, where they are expected to be the offensive uh, sort of dominating side against Lille, Saint-Étienne and Metz, you had 
everything essentially eric what you just said you know not a lot of pace no sort of quick transitions of play few attacking chances and having to rely on very late moments fluky lucky moments to to nab a point um and that those are the issues that om have so at home next month in the champions league we will see you know sort of how much those um issues are resolved i think those issues still at you know, at the forefront after the Bordeaux result. Um, but in particular in tomorrow's game where, you know, OM would very much be happy to walk away with a point in Greece. They'll be looking to sort of utilise that um, that sort of formation and that sort of like, those sort of ideals. I definitely agree, though, if they are to, to qualify, eight points will have to be the minimum. Mm. I, We're certainly much I, more optimistic. I, Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm surprised you're, I don't know, Mo. I, I just, I, I feel like this group is, is, as you say, wide open. And I understand the need in terms of a longer, of taking the long view, if you will, of Marseille wanting to consolidate and build on the, the good work that uh, AVB has done uh, since his arrival. But, I mean, gosh, you know, Porto have conceded four goals in their last two matches. Um, you know, they're not, their defense is creaky in terms of Mbemba and, and Pepe, not not the fastest, not the, you know, I mean, I know Pepe still plays for Portugal, but I don't know. I, I don't think Marchesan is a, is a, a very high level keeper. I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that there, there should be more ambition. Maybe you're ex- expressing caution from your, from, you know, the, the mind of a fan and you want sustainable success, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know why would you rather finish fourth and make the last 16 or would you rather finish second and and finish fourth in the Champions League group? Um, I think maybe you're right. There's, there's first of all, I think there's still the trauma of our last Champions League campaign, where in well, in what point, looked man. like a, a formidable group with Arsenal, Dortmund, and Napoli having lost every all you know all six games, even though we never got thrashed in more than one of them. Um, there were very close games for what was a very young side um, at the time. Um, you, you know, the Champions League is, is is a different kettle of fish to what OM have operated in for, for a long, long time. And so for me, you know, Olympiacos have been in Europe several years. They, you know, reached the quarterfinals in the Europa League. And even though they've had two very poor Champions League campaigns, they, they are a team that have, have the experience to qualify for the last 16. And Porto are, are still... Um, you know, a, a, an interesting squad, an interesting side, even though their last two games, as you quite rightly put, they looked um, sort of a bit shoddy against Sporting Lisbon at the weekend and and suffered a surprise defeat. But I, I don't rule them out. Again, you know, the Champions League, they, they know what it's all about. Um, and for that, you know, we have to be optimistic, but I think we should just see how the first game goes. I think in OM's case, they're going to qualify the fixture list. Um is is fantastic because you've got the opportunity to really um, start off well and in City visit the Velodrome next Tuesday and you know anything can happen as as we've seen um, and then the two double header games against Porto should give you an idea of sort of where you will finish in the in the table and and you know how how you can you know obtain or you know focus on the last two games and then featuring um, sort of playing Olympiacos again. 
at the Velodrome before travelling to the Etihad in week six, where City are going to be resting their players. Hopefully, they probably would have already qualified by then. And they've they've really, you know, they had some shocking results in week six in the Champions League, losing to Celtic, drawing to Shakhtar Donetsk and Dinamo Zagreb, etc. Um, but at you the never same know. Time, you never know. At the same time, of course, you know, if if you lose the first match against Olympiacos and then the match at home against City, um, you know, that... Over. Yeah, that makes it, it, in that case, it's kind of a shame to have the so-called easier fixtures, not easier, but more favorable ones at the start. Um, okay, we're going to have to move on and talk a little bit about Rennes, who are also in the Champions League. Um, and Eric, Rennes drew with, with uh, uh, Plucky Dijon 1-1 on Friday. Yeah, I mean, this was not vintage stuff from Rennes. I mean, obviously, they were, they were resting players. Players uh, and there, there were some absences through suspension. Uh, I believe the Silva was suspended. Let me double check that. Um, um, yeah, and, and you know, you don't have, you didn't have Alfred Gomis, who is recovering from an injury. He's he's expected to play in midweek. Uh, Romain Salin, uh, you know, is not is not you know his has been a reserve keeper for most of his career for a reason. He looked very wobbly. Um, you had two two players making their debuts in Daubert and Daniele Rigani, and you also had Clement Grenier playing for the first time this season in a, in a deep, as a deep-line playmaker. Um, yeah, I mean, this was not a first-choice red inside. I, I think that uh, they got caught cold a little bit by, by Dijon, who, you know, to their credit, looked as good as I've seen them this season. Uh, I still think they're going to get relegated, but you know, I, I saw a lot of good of good things from from Tuiar coming back into the side. Dini and Bembe played, had, a, had a good match as well, um, but yeah, I think that um, they also have you know I think what what is a, a must win match, um, and I think that um, it, yeah, Julian Stefan was right to rotate for this match um, uh, to, to not to not start Kamavinga. Um, and you know to to bring some other players off off earlier. Um, you know I don't know. It, it's uh, it's it's a tough it's a tough thing to look at. I think that you know we had we looked at around a couple of matches ago and pretty high on them. Um, but it's it's also hard to properly assess these these last two draws. This one and the one against Ras. Given that there might have been a shade of rotation, um, so I think that they have every reason to be positive and every reason to be optimistic. But I think perhaps even more than Marseille, Ren are a side that are going to be faced with this dilemma of stick or twist, as it were, in terms of do they focus on the league and, and consolidation, um, or do they do they roll the dice and hope to? hope to try and progress which i think is unlikely you know as as leaky as chelsea have been um i i don't um i don't see i don't see ren being finishing ahead of they they or sevilla um so you know you know do better than krasadar and and get into the europa league you know it's a tough call because i think you know we've already seen that um that Lille are, are starting to round into form. You know, Burak Yilmaz at the weekend is, was looking sharp. And I think that um, the idea of finishing top three again to sustain the success is important for a team that, you know, in terms of their the players that they brought in, we if we look at Doku, Girassi, Terrier, these are all players who were 
I think I think Garassi's 24. These players are younger, Aguerd, um, I think maybe he's 25, but they're they're trying to build something that's sustainable for the long term. And I think that slipping in the league to the point where they would not be in the Champions League last year, I think for Ren more than Marseille would be uh, something that's really costly. So mm. it's it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to parse. Uh, um, I think that they sh- I know they haven't been in the Champions League ever. Is this is correct? Ever, yeah. So you know, I understand from a, a, the club's perspective wanting to put out their best team and do something for the fans. Um, but at the same time, in terms of this project's sustainability going forward, uh, especially with, given the financial situation, um, the, the lure of Champions League play and money next season, I think, will continue to be a positive in terms of their recruitment of you know, these types of younger players that they, they seem to be bringing in. And have we said, as we've said over the past few weeks, I mean, they have made good recruits this summer. They do have a, a, a strong squad by Rennes standards, obviously, but, you know, stronger than last season probably as well. So that's that could be favorable in terms of the turnover and, and the energy that's going to be needed. Um, uh, so so they they start with this match against Krasnodar uh, uh, this week. Uh, like you said, Eric, there's also Chelsea in the group, also Sevilla. Um, which is uh, which might be a little tough. Um, Phil, what do you think of of you know their approach to to this uh, the the novelty of Champions League for Rennes? Uh, pretty much what Eric said. Um, okay. I second his um, uh, his comments uh, regarding the Dijon game, and I think this is uh, sort of the the performance that we should expect of Rennes. Uh, playing in the league after, uh, shall we say, they play right. So uh, they've got a given week. They play on the Tuesday or Wednesday in the Champions League, and then they've got the game on the Saturday or Sunday, or you know, uh, whenever. And I think this will be uh, the uh, sort of performance that they would give, even if it, if it is to bottom in the league. And yes, Dijon looked much much better than they were against uh, against Bordeaux or against uh, all the other sides. I thought Mama Belde uh, gave, uh, gave uh, especially uh, Naïf Aguerd, a uh, run for his money. Rugani al- almost uh, looked like the, he didn't even look like the new guy in town. He looked like the guy experienced who would, who would tell Aguerd what to do and how it's done in Liga, which is <laughs> quite ironic because Aguerd is a very experienced defender in Liga and Rugani, it was, it was his debut. So th- there was a lot of... of um, shall we say, of, uh, of players not particularly uh, threatening up front. Uh, I believe the goal came um, mainly from Amari Traoré, who, who is a very yeah. decent uh, very decent right-back to me. I mean, uh, very, yeah. very promising. And, and I reckon he won't be staying at Rennes very long if he, if he performed in the, uh, in the Champions League. To, to me, I mean, it's just, it's just all too new for them. It's uh, uh, some, some kind of cult- culturally new. And um, again, they got uh, a lo- lots of, of uh, very good players. But I think they're, they're basically um, overawed about the, about the fact that they're going to have to play two high-standard uh, high games a week, which has never happened to a club, which has never... I mean, just just not used to it, and this is why I think Marseille would be better equipped to make it to the to, to knockout stages than Rennes. Well, I mean, that's not mutually exclusive, but but at the same time, you know, remember two seasons ago, okay, that was the Europa League, but you know, they got some yeah. very good results there, and they were discovering it at the time as well. They, uh, were, you know, in the round of thirty-two, I think they knocked out 
um, Betis Sevilla. Then in the next round, it was against Arsenal, and you know they won the first leg uh, quite convincingly. Although that was a very weak Arsenal, to be fair. But um, you know that was uh, that that's still with them. I think some of the players are still around. Yeah, I know, but uh, I, th- I think it's all the uh, it's all the novelty of Rennes becoming uh, some kind of top three club, yeah. which hasn't really sunk in. Uh, first of all, within the club, and hasn't really yeah. sunk in in uh, shall we say French football, um, French football culture, shall shall we say? So mm-hmm. it really is a, a different uh, a different kettle of fish. Um, Europa League and Champions League, even though it's the same principle, shall we say, it's, it's uh, playing two games, uh, two games a week, which which they achieve. But I, I believe that once uh, once you have a side who is uh, playing in Champions League, um, people start to take notice, and they will they will look at Rennes' performances in the league much more closely, uh, not only from uh, from um, uh, shall we say. Uh, national viewers, but also from scouts from from abroad to to check out their their players. So, I mean, it's really it's really not the same amount of pressure in my book. Yeah, fair enough. Um, you did mention one thing briefly, which I want to come back to Phil, which was um, Mama Balde from from Dijon. The goal he scored. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> there's two Rennes defenders literally holding his arm or his shirt, and he just yeah. powers through them. And like, you know, 90% of footballers would have gone down and probably obtained a penalty there because that was what it was looking like. But he just pushed through and, 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 and you know, dribbles them and, and scores. A really nice goal. I mean, especially power to Aguerd. Uh, I thought yeah. Rugani didn't really know what to do, but Aguerd really got owned on that one. And it, it just it just felt like he uh, the pressing that guy did uh, from start to finish was extremely impressive, uh, even in the first half where Dijon weren't making making loads of stuff. And I mean, uh, let's talk. I mean, let's talk about relegation for two seconds. Eric, you mentioned uh, Dijon. Okay. Uh, you still think they're going to go down? I mean, you, you look at the situation at Reims. Things are going. I mean, really, really badly there. Yeah. There are a couple of sides who are extremely fragile, and I mean, I don't know. I mean, Dijon they do have they do have um, they do have Equilian Manga who's experienced. They have Shafik. Uh, Shala didn't have a good game. Uh, clearly, he got he got replaced at halftime. Uh, you had you have Shuya who's uh, who's a left winger, and you have Mamad Valde. I mean, bowing injuries. I mean, I, I'm I'm like you. I would have said, I would have said. Um, uh, Dijon to be relegated a couple of weeks ago, but you know, with a performance like this against a top three contender, I mean, that's you know, reason to be hopeful, especially when you look at the situation mm-hmm. at Lens. Thirty-one Sorry, matches you... left. I, I I don't know. Alagbe does not look like a, a league standard goalkeeper, and I think that Gomis mm-hmm. having Gomis last season, I think, made a bit of a difference for them. Um, and when you lose a, a player like Julio Tavares, who, you know, I, I, de- I know definitely has his faults, but he was an effective performer in Liga. You know, Balte is an exciting player. And I know you can get goals from a player who is that sort of l- lanky, quick player. I mean, we could think about like Nicola Pepe in recent seasons, um, uh, you know, Aubameyang when he had that season a few years ago for, for Saint-Étienne. But at the same time, I, I think that that defense really worries me. And, and Alagbe, I don't think is... Is 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 up to much, and I know that there are other teams that look poor and ropey and shaky. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that. I think Dijon look improved. I don't think they're going to be historically bad, a la Arlavignon, for example. But I, I neither do I see them surviving. Um, I, I'd say probably they and Mets to go down at this point, given the injury to Neon. Did 
Did you say à la who? À la Evian, did you say? À la Arlavignon. Oh, Arlavignon. Oh, okay. Arlavignon. <laughs> okay. Uh, that, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was, yeah. <laughs> well, that's 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 the worst part. I mean, just just to finish on on the hen, as it didn't look threatening against a pretty bad, you know, defense. Mm. And that's what's worrying, I think. I, I mean, to, to me, the, the most, the most. Uh, I mean, Bourigeau and Te, uh, was it Te? I think it was. Um, had had uh, decent games in midfield, but so uh, I mean, Amari Traoré was almost the most threatening, threatening hand play, and he came from the back, and he plays right back. It just go to show. I mean, Del Castillo was nowhere to be seen. Uh, Grenier a bit. I mean, yeah, I guess was a goal, but that's that's about it. I mean, they weren't. They they. They almost made Dijon's defense look good. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's it, it's interesting, right? Because you know we were having this talk about Rennes a few weeks ago, and the same about Dijon, and, and you know everything is seems to have flipped. I mean, a few weeks ago we were praising Rennes' midfield and offense, and and Dijon looked looked pretty uh, terrible. But uh, yeah, that's just how the how. Well, if you can see three goals to Bordeaux, I mean, you you can only be terrible <laughs> in time. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Um, okay, Phil, there was another big match uh, over the weekend. Uh, this one not involving uh, a, a Champions League team, but a Europa League team, and that is Lille. Uh, and they defeated their rivals, Lens. It was the first time they met; uh, those two teams met in five years. Now that Lens is is back in Ligue 1, but a, a big four nil win for Lille there. Yes, there was a lot of uh, folklore uh, in uh, this week in France, uh, building up to the game. <laughs> There was a banner saying we uh, we uh, love uh, Lille, we hate not in English. We hate uh, Lens. Yeah, sorry, we, we hate Lens. <laughs> uh, and um, it was not the most creative was, banner, yeah. No, it's it, no. I mean, most of the banners weren't very creative. There was a lot of uh, a lot of insults, uh, which yeah, it wasn't. Um, I mean, yeah. it's a bit it, it's a bit like there's a week that uh, that builds up to the classico. I mean, there was a lot of uh, a lot of uh, I mean, very strong very strong language. That, I mean, didn't have didn't capture imagination. You know, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't even funny. Usually they, they make it a bit funny. But anyway, onto the game. Mm. Uh, Lille were much much better than Lens. Uh, not uh, well, uh, not uh, uh, what uh, what's the word. Um, not saying that loss uh, are not concerned with relegation, but you know, I mean, they don't. They don't look like, uh, shall, shall we say, a top a top half team, especially from uh, from yesterday's showing. Lille, uh, yeah. Um, again, going back to what uh, Eric said a couple of weeks back with Renato Sanchez, it's. Uh, I mean, it's really not the same side. He was. Uh, yeah. He was immense yesterday. Uh, Burak Ilmaz um, scored the opening goal, and you know, with all his uh, his experience, he uh, he showed he showed what uh, what a good uh, striker he he is. Uh, but uh, yeah, extremely impressed with uh, with Renato Sanchez. Uh, again, a big question mark about Jonathan David. Just misses the ball right in the penalty area. Uh, he's quick, but just doesn't um, utilize the ball well enough in the in the final third in the penalty area. But it didn't really matter against a against a very poor last side. Apart from Gael Kakutas, it didn't have much going on. Zotokan, Corotangent. I mean, they weren't really going to trouble um, uh, Fonte and uh, Botman. Botman, uh, who's um, a summer signing from Ajax, I think. Very good signing. That's right. Uh, very good. Yeah, very good centre-back. Uh, very composed and uh, 
Uh, all the products would go probably to uh, Burakil Mas and to Sanchez. Um, Bomba as well, who's, uh, who had a very good game. But uh, yeah, Batman looks uh, very, very composed and looks like a, like a very astute piece of business from, from Lille. And yeah, they look, um, they look, they looked extremely comfortable. But I mean, they, they, they are. I mean, in terms of quality, Lille are better sides than, than Nasa by a considerable margin. Yeah. So I mean, four nil, four nil basically uh, get, um, was uh, an apt, uh, uh, shall we say, uh, wrap up of uh, both sides' ability. Mm. I mean, that's, Lost did uh, get that's a gap. Yeah. Lost did get two red cards as well, which um, um, yeah. obviously, you know, didn't help them in any way. Um, well, it didn't Mo- help them. They were already 2-0 down. So, I mean, yeah. I mean there's a, it yeah. wasn't, it, even at one and a half times again, it wasn't really a contest. I mean, that's what it felt like. Like just kicking them out of spite. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Um, Mo, if you look at... Um, in L'Equipe, they, you know, they grade the players, they give them a, a score out of 10. Uh, obviously, it's very uh, a subjective measure, but it, it in France, it has kind of reputation. You know, people look to that um, just because L'Equipe is such a big newspaper. And in the average ratings for, uh, you know, that they compile from week to week, um, six of the top eight players on average play for Lille. And Lille are, are you know, top of the league now, obviously, which is uh, much less of a subjective measure. Um, how how good are they this season? I mean, well, yeah. I mean, I think first of all, those 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 um, ratings will change as as, as the games go on, and we're still in the very early portion, and they are perhaps a little bit skewed, um, you know, amounting to sort of really good results, etc. Uh, but one thing is that Lille have actually been really good across the board, and you can see that. A notable improvement, like we said, um, I think two weeks ago when they beat Nantes two nil, um, we, we 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 had a brief conversation then that they were they were improving, that they were, um, you know, shaking off perhaps a, um, a not not so much a questionable start, but certain players had not sort of um, hit the ground running. Jonathan David being one of them, and and Baraki Omas in particular as well, his trying partner who looked perhaps threatening, but not really um, massively productive. Now, that's changed over the last three games. I mean, first of all, the defence in itself has played fantastically. Five uh, clean sheets in the last six in Ligue 1. And then you've got the attack that's really coming together now. Yilmaz, um, you know, got the first goal. He's been, he's been looking good. And and the, the, the sort of players behind the strike force, which... Um, number Bamba, Ikone, Yasichi, Sanchez as well, um, more or less over the last couple of games have really come into their own as well. Um, so there is a lot of improvement across the board, particularly in the defence as well. Um, and now they're scoring goals and they're really a cohesive unit. So it's not insurmountable. Um, and sorry, it's not sort of impossible to understand that um, they are heavily rated considering... Um, you know, Paris Saint-Germain, for example, have had a lot of um, poor, perhaps, results in the early part of the season. And perhaps, you know, some teams like Ren, you might think that their gradings are just sort of sort of consistent and sufficient, you know, sort of the 6 out of 10, the 5 out of 10, etc. for for a sort of a, an OK match. Um, but they, they deserve it and they've looked really, really good. And, you know, I hope that they're able to take that into the Europa League because they've got a fantastic set of results. Um, or for fixtures coming up soon, obviously they're in a very tough group 
in, in, in Europa with uh, Sparta Prague and um, and Celtic and Milan, but also they've been playing Nice and and Lyon um, in between those games as well. Um, so it's going to be a very, very difficult, perhaps two and a half, three weeks coming up. Um, so it'll be good to see sort of how how they'll be able to sort of take that league form into Europe. Um, so, yeah, they start their European campaign in Prague on uh, Thursday. Interestingly, I noticed in that group, I mean, we've commented before on, on how strong this group is. Sparta Prague are top of the Czech League right now. Milan are top of Serie A. Lille are top of Ligue 1. And only Glasgow Celtic are, are second um, in Scotland, four points behind because uh, they lost, Rangers. Because they lost the old firm on Saturday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, they were the ones who you would have most expected to be first in, in their own league, but um, they're the ones who aren't. So, you know, those teams overall seem pretty uh, informed going into this group. It, it, definitely one of the more interesting ones in Europa League. Um, some other news out of Lille. Now, we don't have much time, so we won't comment on it too much. But uh, Luis Campos apparently says he wants to leave, uh, stop working at Lille. Um We'll talk about it more another time in case he actually does leave, because for now he's just saying it and maybe he's you know trying to obtain something. But there seems to be a dispute with Mark Ingla, who's the general director of the club. Um, and interestingly, um, Luis Campos is actually not uh, uh, he, he's not employed by Lille. He's a contractor, um, which, uh, you know, there's a lot of. Uh, interesting details i'm sure about the way luis campos does business um and transfer business in particular at lille um but uh we tend to hear a lot of positives um we'll talk more of that about that uh in case anything does happen in the next couple of weeks um also nice are in the europa league uh they uh will be playing at bayer Lever- leverkusen this week uh the other teams in their group are hapoel Beersheva from from israel and slavia prague um, and uh, this weekend, Nice beat Saint-Etienne 3-1. Uh, there was a very fun goalkeeping mistake in this one from Jesse Moulin, who <laughs> kind of pushes the ball <laughs> towards his own goal, which is left wide open for uh, Guiri to come in and finish it off. Um, and then Walter Benitez also made a mistake in, in Lille's goal with a, with a bad clearance. Um, that's a little bit more ordinary, I guess. Um, but overall, a 3-1 win for Nice. So they're also in in good shape uh, going into uh, Europe. Okay. Um, let me quickly open up the floor, guys. Uh, what do you want to uh, each? What do each of you want to share uh, with us uh, from this weekend? Uh, I'll start with you, Mo. Um, yeah. I mean, I think what one thing I would like to share the most is something we're actually going to talk about. In, in a little while. Um, TV so, deal? Yeah, I think that, okay. that is, that's been a, that's been a fantastic um, sort of um, scenario that's un- un- developing in, in French football. Well, but obviously, I think perhaps <laughs> we should also still shine a spotlight into Rams. Uh, Stadio Ram, I think they've, you know, they are thinking a little bit and the news has come out that, um, you know, they're going to be sticking with... Um, David Guillon um, mm-hmm. for a little longer. Um, for how long, though? Um, because, you know, this is a club that was on a very quick meteoric rise over the last two seasons, culminating in Europa League. And, and suddenly it's all sort of gone a bit pear shaped. This is a team that had a fantastic defence last season. Um, 
you know, picking up fantastic results early on in the season, away to Marseille, away to PSG, uh, good results against the rest of the top six as well. Um, and then setting themselves up for, for Europe. And then it's all gone, yeah, very, very pear-shaped with uh, elimination Europe to Hungarian side Videoton. Um, and, um, yeah, just defeat after defeat. I mean, they did pick up... Um, a point at Rennes just before the break, but another really poor um, defeat to Lorient on the weekend and two red cards as well. It's just, it seems like it's, it's you know, getting a bit worse and, you know, can be playing Montpellier next week as well. Mm. Um, and two points, particularly when the teams above them have now at least won twice. Um, you know, yeah, Dijon's problems are well documented. I think Strasbourg, another one in difficulty, where I think they're just coming full circle now with three or four seasons in Liga, and it's it's to be expected. But no one really expected this to be uh, where uh, Guillaume's side are um, at the moment, particularly you know with the promise of Europe, etc., and and that tight defence. I'm I'm just a bit worried about them at the moment, and I don't see um, that it will get better anytime soon. Hmm. Um, I, w- I wanted to talk about Hans too, so I'll just respond to that. I mean, we've we've kind of talked about it in the last few weeks, and I took their defense at first, thinking that things would be improving. Um, and uh, it really looks like they're hit with bad luck at, at the same time, though, is because, you know, just as things seem to be improving, for this match against Lorient, uh, they came into it with several injuries. Uh, Zanelli, Berisha, and, and Conan uh, were all out. Uh, El Bilal Toure was also... Um, uh, in isolation so he can play and then um, you know the scenario of the match was really really unfavorable with a first half injury for uh, Coutessa Chavalrin coming off injured at halftime as well um, by which point uh, uh, were up 1-0 but Lorient come back into it in the second half with you know Reims are playing a midfield of, of youngsters with no Ligue 1 experience at this point and uh in addition to that, they picked up two red cards with uh, Kasama and Donis getting sent off in the second half. Uh, so, um, yeah, they're going to have more absences in the next few weeks, and that is going to be very difficult. And uh, But there was an interesting scene, however, after the match with uh, the fans understandably upset with how the season is starting, kind of uh, summoning or beckoning the players to come talk to them after the game, which is something that happens every once in a while in Ligue 1. Uh, obviously, it's the first time it happens in a while because we haven't had too many fans at matches. But um, uh, the captain, Yunus Abdelhamid, had a, you know, seemed like an animated discussion with the fans. And unfortunately, the, there was no audio on the on the cameras. But um, um, well, there was like... a bit. There was a bit. Was I mean, there? It, it was, yeah, I mean, depending on the video you got, but uh, there, there was some, some audio and it was a very constructive talk. I mean, yeah, that's, you, you yeah. know what? You know what Yunis Adelamid is like, and you know what he's going to say. He's going to say, "We we need to, we need you behind us, uh, even when it's difficult because uh, because of the pandemic. I mean, the Dulun can't be at full capacity, obviously, just like any. Even though there's no curfew in Reims, I mean, you, you know what I mean. But mm-hmm. uh, no, it was a very constructive talk with uh, the chief of the uh, the Reims Ultra. They call it the Ultrem. Yeah. And um, and it, I mean, it's uh, it sorted itself out, and uh, then the uh, then the, the the chiefs, shall we say, the the, uh, the big boss of the ultra said, uh, thanks, uh, thanks, thank you, Eunice, for for coming out and uh, and uh, stating that uh, you're still very much uh, uh, involved 
in uh, in in captaining the side, and uh, you know uh, we'll, we'll try we'll try to be to be uh, to be one hundred percent behind you. Well, let, let's make it a, a last topic, shall we say? Uh, because I wanted to talk about them too. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and the whole point about Guillaume is that a lot of people are saying uh, we wish uh, we wish he would uh, he would quit uh, probably not get sacked because then it would cost a bit of money uh, but uh, then you've got uh, shall we say the more sensible part saying um, they do believe he's still the best man equipped uh, for the job because he he comes from he comes from the club he used to be uh, the youth team coach. Uh, when he took the club, they were in Ligue 2. So, I mean, nobody really expected them to to even get uh, close to promotion that particular season. I think it was three seasons ago. And now, what, what do you know? They were they were in the Europa League. They were terrible, but they were in the Europa mm. League. Um, so, uh, I, I believe there's there's a lot of um, division uh, in terms of uh, uh, the opinion, uh, Reims fans' opinion on on Guillaume. Yeah, we shall and- see. Uh, having lived in Reims, I can tell you the fans are so harsh over there. I mean, it can be nil-nil against a good level opposition <laughs> at halftime and they will boo the team back into the dressing room. It's re- it's really a, um, an interesting kind of a dynamic there. I, I don't know what the problem is, but, you know, I, I witnessed that many times. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they have been on, overperforming for several seasons, I guess, and... and uh, you know, hopefully things will will settle back in in the next few weeks or or months. Um, Eric, did you also want to talk about Reims, or or were you going to grace our ears with with laudits of Carl Tokoy and Tino Kadewere? Um, no, I I wasn't going to. <laughs> I, I wanted to mention briefly Fair Monaco. Um, okay. Yeah, so it's been uh, two and a half matches uh, since they scored from open play, um, and I, I think they're might be some questions starting to creep, creep in about this team and uh, the quality of their attack and should they have uh, you know, opted for some more experienced options. Um, and I think that we saw Kevin Volan brought off at halftime yesterday, um, really disappointing that they were playing against the Montpellier side who were with 10 men um, and without their most dangerous player, Tashi Zivanier, being sent off 20 minutes mm-hmm. into the match. And all they could end up with was a penalty against a team that is a direct rival for a European spot. I don't know. I, I like the. I like what Nico Kovac is trying to do at, at uh, Monaco. Give young players a chance. Uh, we're seeing that pay off with the players' performances from players like Sofian Diop, uh, Krizlian Matasima. Like there, there is good to be to be to be brought from what his project. But I also know that we've seen the club's hierarchy be impatient, and I kind of wonder that you know. Looking at their last run of results, um, not able to beat Montpellier at home, um, right. losing away to Brest. I know Brest, is, Brest can be a tough place to play. Um, jokes about the rain and Brittany aside. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that I've really seen... Um, I don't know. I, I feel like this team is lacking something in attack that... You know, I mean, it could be as simple as be putting it down to um, Islam Slimani's departure as having like a more orthodox target man. But I think that for all the energy and the pressing that um, uh, Monaco have offered up this season, I still feel like they're a little bit blunt in attack. Um, and I, I just have questions about does this team have the capability to... Um, to challenge for the top three, to challenge for the European places uh, as 
you know, as I think the club, club sorry, expects them to do it on a regular basis. They've got a big test away to Lyon this weekend. Um, and I think that, you know, they won't be perhaps eager to, to face, to face Lyon either, because, you know, Lyon, I, I wasn't fully convinced by their performance. I still have questions over, uh, how motivated Hussam Awar looks after not leaving. He did not have a great match. Um, for example, uh, Moussa Dembele came off the bench, looked as ineffective as he has all season. But, um, yeah, I think Monaco can could be in for some more of their, well, what's become seemingly usual uh, tumult in the, the days and weeks and months to come, given if they don't start to string together some results. Um, they've not exactly had a tough run of fixtures to start the season. I mean, you know, I think... You know, they had that gutting loss to Ren, through which they in which they played really well, um, and lost it sort of the death. But I think that other than that, I don't really think that they've had a very tough time of things in terms of their opponents. At that opening day draw, for example, to Rath looks, you know, like a, a poorer and poorer result with each week that goes by. Um, you know, they. And they've got now they've got a tough set of fixtures. If you look at their next six matches, they've got Lyon. They're away to Nice, which is a derby, and Nice have been playing well. Uh, they're hosting PSG uh, in a month's time, and then uh, they go to Lille in the beginning of December. So, you know, these next six matches, you know, I could see you know Monaco only getting you know two, three, four points out of them, and and then where does that leave them? I, I think a long way off. Um, Given the given the good form we've seen from the likes of Lille and Ren to start the season, that this team's ambitions could be uh, blunted unless uh, Niko Kovac can find a way to, you know, get something more in terms of the sharp end of the stick from for these from these players. I mean, Wissam Benyedder is a fantastic player, but you know he he can't be a one man team um, given the money that's been invested in that side. Yeah. Um, for sure. Uh, the other matches in Ligue 1 this weekend were uh, Strasbourg 2, Lyon 3. Uh, Kadewer, the first score, and, and Tokolai Kambi scored the other two goals for Lyon there. I won't lie, um, as I was following the score for this match and Lyon were 3-0 up, I thought, this is great preparation for the Champions League. And it hit me a little bit later that, hold on, um, they're not qualified this year. It feels a bit strange to, to you know, realize that Lyon aren't playing Europe. Um, and uh, the other results were Angers 1, Metz 1, and Nantes 3, Brest 1. Okay, uh, let's finish up today by talking a little bit about uh, about uh, TV deals and bad decisions. Uh, Mo, uh, you almost brought it up earlier. Um, <laughs> the story is that, uh, let me just introduce this actually, uh, that uh, MediaPro was supposed to pay on October 17th the... Uh, you know, the next installment of the TV deal that was signed uh, starting this season between them and Ligue 1 for domestic uh, broadcasting on a channel called Telefoot. And they uh, said that they could not pay, uh, that they didn't have the money to do so. So uh, the LFP, uh, in order to pay the clubs like they were supposed to at this date, uh, have now decided to take out a 112 million euro loan instead. Uh, after having already taken out a, a 200 million euro loan uh, back in the spring to compensate for lost money for uh, the uh, unended uh, season. Uh, so, Mo, things are uh, not looking uh, very good on that front. 
Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I think I think not very good. It's a bit of an understatement. I think yeah. while there's no alarm yet um, amongst the LFB, the clubs, um, and I think there's been a press conference scheduled for Wednesday, um, at least correct. from Telford's side to discuss what's you know uh, what's been going on. But it really is a bad look um, for French football in general. I mean, I think now we can safely say that the decision to uh, cancel the last season was was a mistake, um, given that now all the other leagues have had finished their their campaigns uh, relatively well um, by by August with no uh, problems, and they were able to get this season started, albeit a bit late. But there hasn't seemed to be any sort of knock-on effect as was predicted both in March but then also in June um, and the difference being that the, the decision to end the season was a government decision to start it, with it was, now, it was a government decision but the football also, side didn't argue too much with it um, yeah but, but um, I mean there were the, there the, were rumors about you know whether clubs had lobbied the government into making a decision for them yeah. um, that obviously is is up for debate and a debate for another time. But you know, if it, it had, I I believe for, for sure had the majority of the clubs that you know said we cannot survive if we don't play. Uh, you know, if you're not going to give us a loan, we won't play now. But let's play at another date and let's just see how things go. The fact that they definitively closed the season um, before, say for example, in the Premier League uh, project restart. You know, they'd only started discussing in May what a restart of the season would look like. Um, but that's beyond the point. I mean, I think, uh, you know, for me, for example, at the time, cancelling the season was was um, seemed like a positive idea to do, especially because of this TV contract. Everything relied on this TV contract in that was up 60%. You know, it's now north of um, a billion uh, euros a year, putting it third um, amongst the top five leagues, just narrowly third as well. Well, it was supposed um, to be that, but now it's looking exactly. like it's not so, going to be. Yeah. You know, they, they sacrificed last season because this season had to be salvaged. This season was a big TV deal. I mean, two months in, you know, and the first payment was just before the league actually got going, uh, just to obviously wet the wheels of this big four-year contract. The first sort of payment um, while the league is ongoing has now been missed. And you're thinking, why? I mean, on one side, the business case there is a business case to say this is not what we signed up for two years ago. That's absolutely fine. COVID has impacted everybody. You know, stadiums are not full. Um, it's absolutely, you know, reasonable for them, for Media Pro to say, look, we'd like a bit of a rebate. These are things that are happening in other leagues. In this country, it's happening with Sky and BT as well. But Media Pro really utilised the um, the cancellation of League now, especially when BN Sport and Canal Plus sort of, you know, clapped their hands and said, you know what, that's it. If the league is finished, we're not paying anymore. And Media Pro sort of utilised that sort of polemic by saying, we're happy to step in right now. We are a long-term partner of, of Liga. And, you know, they were really milking the, the, the early parts of the COVID pandemic to say, look, we can be really fruitful partners for the league and for the clubs. And we're happy to step in and, you know, get things going if you guys want to start football. And now four months in, it's all gone gone to pot, and now the league are very seriously looking at cancelling the contract. And there, mm. there are some, you know, there's gross incompetence as well because everybody knew um, that Serie A, who had a deal with Media Pro to broadcast Italian football in Italy, 
and the league had said, you know, you know, we're not really, even though this is also a very lucrative deal, if you can't give bank guarantees, your word doesn't really mean anything. Um, and the LFP seems to have said, you know, well, that's okay. We only need sort of very minor guarantees um, and has still gone ahead. And I think that's very, a big level of incompetence given the current sort of, you know, the way the world works these days, you know, to not actually do, do your absolute top level due diligence is, is shocking, particularly when a, a related company, associated company called MP and Silver, which was a very big international rights agency, subsequently bought, I think, by, by Chinese shareholders, went bust as well. No. Yeah. Uh, you see, uh, that that point about financial guarantees, I, I, I'm finding it extremely hard to believe, though. So, Natalia Wodletu saw 1 billion euros for the next TV deal, and she said okay, and everybody uh, jumped on the bandwagon and, uh, and basically criticized her for not expect, for not um, uh, exigir, what's the word? Demanding. Uh, not, uh, demanding, thank you. Uh, losing my English now. Um, uh, bank uh, financial guarantees. I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I just find it very hard to believe that for a billion dollar contract, you don't go through with all the guarantees. Exactly. It, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it, it seems very, not... very hard to believe. But it's true, and we knew this before. I mean, Everybody I mean, we knew that. before that they had this problem with Seria and that they they couldn't pay it, and they didn't. You know, normally there's a sort of thing like a like a in French we call it a caution, for example, or which is like a kind of upfront provisional payment to show yeah. that you have a. They didn't ask for anything deposit, like that. Which a actually, deposit. Which, there you go. Which, which actually is a requirement for you from UEFA if you're going to be broadcasting Champions League or European mm. games. If you're if you're the rights holder, you have to pay a ten percent deposit of the entire contract, um, which, which can be which a three year. Which period. I believe Media Pro did though. Well, I, I, I haven't did seen what? that for a deposit. I think that they paid the first they tranche. Didn't pay the, the first tranche they did pay, which was just before the season yeah. began in August. Yeah, but that, but yeah. that was to be expected, obviously, because had they not paid there, they definitely would not have been, you know. I think, you know, it's to be expected for the first payment for it to go through because, um, you know, it, it kicks off the contract. But um, the, big, the big area is that now, you know, it's very easy. In the hindsight, it's a wonderful thing that everyone actually now knows that Media Pro aren't broadcasters in their own right, in the same way Canal, Sky, BT, and the like are, like RMC as well. Mm -hmm. They are a rights agency buying rights and hoping to sublet them at a profit, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's only because the fact that they were unable to find people to take on the Telefood channel, you know, everything does has, has seemed like they've been doing it on the cheap, et cetera, you know. They've been, you know, instead of having a linear TV channel, um, they focused on um, over-the-top broadcasting um, through streams and, and minor tie-ups with satellite providers and licensing or sub-licensing the telephone name from TF1 and the journalists, you know, the journalists, etc., and the editorial guys and the commentators, etc. Um, and it's, 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 it's absolutely sublime. I mean, they're, they're still broadcasting the Champions League this week. They are sub-licensing the Champions League. And for yeah. that, I'm sure UEFA would not have taken a kind eye had payments not been made. Um, mm. And maybe, maybe you know, this this criticism or controversy is a bit overblown that they're just very forceful saying, we've got the money, but we just don't think the product deserves a billion euros, which that can be a discussion of another day. I mean, personally, I don't see the problem. 
I mean, if, which is fair it, enough, but they signed, yeah. they signed the contract. Well, they signed the contract, but also it sounds like they don't have the money. And so exactly. you know, now there's a number of possible scenarios, such as uh, renegotiating contracts, such as them losing the rights and there being a new uh, 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 auction for them, or you know, even a more direct way of, of someone else taking over their rights. Can I Which would be a calamity. It would be an absolute Because it would be a lot less money, for sure. Yeah. Exactly. It's already I mean, a calamity. Yeah, Sorry? it's already a calamity because the uh, the clubs have overspent this summer compared to previous summers in my book. To, because and the, French, the club French started clubs spending, yeah, they, they started yeah. spending last I mean, summer knowing that this deal was going to come, uh, which yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. We talked and, about yeah. we talked about Ren, uh, a, a defender like Rugani. I'm I'm thinking he's not cheap. Honestly, yeah, I, I, yeah, I honestly don't think. I honestly don't think that Ren would have gone with that uh, with that type of signing uh, with uh, the uh, the old deal. They said, yeah. "Okay, we we've got sixty percent increase in in our income. Uh, let's go nuts." And I think I, mean, I, I think it's the same with Marseille as well. I mean, we spoke a lot of the time over the over the past few months of mm-hmm. financial difficulties, mm-hmm. etc., fines being levied, and yet nobody's left. Well, nobody of note. Um, mm. has left um, in terms of big, big, big transfers, etc. They've kept more or less nearly everybody apart from Bruno San Maxime Lopez um, mm. and on, on big salaries as well. And it's an idea, well, you know, there's a 60% increase in TV rights. There's a Champions League as well. We probably have enough to tide us over for one year as soon as we qualify again. Um, and yeah, it would, be, it would be an absolute calamity. So let's see how it goes on Wednesday. Um, but, but the fact is for me, like if Media Pro... It's it's bad. It you know for me, it, like I said, it's it's very reasonable for them to say this is not the product we signed up for. Let's renegotiate, and for them to play a bit hardball over it because obviously if you don't play hardball, you're never going to get what you're looking for. But, but, but that's the thing. It, the picture does look like they just don't have the money. I mean, for them to yeah. to say, look, we're not going to do it. I mean, why don't you pay now and then and then yeah. negotiate for the third one, a third payment, which I think should be coming at Christmas, um, and then to say, look, for this one. We really need to negotiate. Right now, we don't want to put the clubs out of pocket. And the LFP have really gone to great lengths in securing a bank loan again to distribute mm-hmm. to the clubs because the clubs are not going to wait, of course. They've got bills to pay. Um, and for them but, to buy you know, cars, that's a debt that the clubs are going to have to pay in the next few years, which yeah. you know we've been through that problem already. We, Ten years ago, a lot of young clubs were under huge debt and... You know, that really hurt France's chances in the Champions League and so on, right? Marseille and Lyon in particular had big problems concerning this. Um, I think, Mo, you covered, you know, pretty much all the major points there. Just one thing. What's that? Yeah, just uh, to to me, the the, uh, the, uh, argument of saying that's not the product we're signed for, to me, that's a cop-out. It's just, it's basically, to, to me, Major Pro must be saying today, uh, what to to the league and uh, Nathalie Dubois Latour or who, and uh, the guy who's in charge now? Uh, what a bunch of idiots you you are! I mean, everybody knows we don't have any money, and you're really expecting us to pay. I just I don't also, understand what's in it. But also, I this just also don't comes understand from, what's in it from Media Pro. But this also comes from the fact that there have been a lot of reports in the last couple of weeks, and they've they've missed their subscriber targets. Obviously, you know the likes of yeah. RMC have like two million subscribers. And, you know, in England, for example, BT and Sky, they've got, mm-hmm. you know, three, four million subscribers. And if you're going to be charging 25 euros a month, you'd be having a lot of revenue. But because of the price where Canal Plus and being Swart are already there, 
RMC as well. You know, the rights are very fragmented. Nobody wants to pay 25 euros a month for, for Liga. It's, for the, it's just not yeah. going to happen. And the fact that the consequence is that maybe only, you know, a quarter of a million people have only subscribed to Telefoot and, you know, there's been reports that the product isn't actually that good. The internet, you know, the streaming over the internet has been very poor. Um, so people have been like, yeah, um, it's not for us. So maybe that's all linked. And the fact that, you know, they've missed their earnings projections and as such, they can't pay. I mean, yeah, it is all linked. But, but we knew that from the start. You know, we knew their whole proposition was tabling on this 25 euros a month thing, which everyone knew from the start seemed ridiculous just because it was such a big increase on what people are used to. And I mean, you know, I know, you know, Philippe, you, Philippe, you did subscribe to Telefoot. Um, but not everyone has, yeah. far from it. I haven't. I'm not going to pay 25 a month for, you know, the eight less interesting Liga matches every week. Um, and Oh, no, they've got first choice. No, they they've have the first. Sunday one. That's true, yeah. Um, they have the Sunday one, and they get uh, they get one of uh, Peugeot Marseille. Uh, I mean, Canel Plus get one of Peugeot Marseille, but they don't get both. Yeah, and like, yeah I think season, they get first pick and then third yeah. and below. Like, for example, uh, they get Peugeot this week. Peugeot Dijon is on Canal Plus and not on Telefoot. Because sometimes they share it. Sometimes the game is on Canal Plus and Telefoot. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, um, I'm, not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not ashamed to admit, yeah, I sold my, uh, my soul to the devil as head fuck. Yeah, <laughs> it's only 25, 25 No, years. I mean, <laughs> you, there's nothing wrong with it, right? If you, if you want to do it, do it. But Thank obviously you. fewer people are going to want to do it than before is the only thing. Um, so it's astounding arrogance on my part for 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 them to charge 25 euros um, when, for example, I mean, we talk in this country so much about the high cost of football, but, you know, for 25 pounds of BT Sport, you get, you know, one or two Premier League games a week, but you also get the Champions League, you get uh, European football, you get UFC, you get all of this, you know, 25 euros for, for, for league and games and and one, one or two Champions League games for only one season. It's, it's you know, a bloody steal for that. It's, it's robbery. Mm-hmm. It's, it's remarkable. And, uh, the, 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 the worrying thing as well on that front is that, I mean, I, I, that's one of the things I looked at when I was considering whether or not I should subscribe. It's, when, it's not just 25 euros per month. It's, it's a one-year minimum subscription that you're signing up for. So... You know, I don't know how that's going to work out for people like you, Philippe. If you know, all of a sudden they oh, go. Broke. I'll keep you keep you informed. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Um, yeah. Whereas I knew, you know, I'm not I'm not going to take a one year subscription. Maybe maybe for a month if I know I'm I'm going to have a lot of time that month, I'll take it out. But yeah, I'm never going to sign up for a year. But anyways, um, yeah, lots to be worried about there. Uh, more news going to come out. It's going. Well, especially for the clubs. I mean, I think for people who subscribe, they're going to get their money back via, I mean, via RMC Sport because a mm-hmm. lot of uh, people took Telefoot via RMC Sport. As in, it was less expensive to take it. it would cost me, probably cost me like uh, 10 euros more if I took it via RMC Sport than if you took Telefoot, you know, mm-hmm. as a whole. And that's, why they did this, that's why they did this uh, partnership with RMC Sport so that it would be uh, less expensive and that if you took Telefoot, just Telefoot, you would get also Champions League and Europa League, which will soften the blow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if you pay 25 euros just for Telefoot, you also get Europe for one season. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm not going to feel too bad for the clubs because, just to clear something up, because I, I think some people in the discussion, like, you know, generally not everyone out there understands this. The LFP 
is the clubs of Liga. It is the assembly of Liga clubs meeting together. It is made up of the presidents of all Liga clubs, and they are the ones who you know appoint the people who are going to negotiate these TV deals and so on. So when, whenever we say the LFP, we're talking about Liga clubs as a collective, and they're the ones who you know walked into this and uh, and approved it and so on. So, yeah, um, it's 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 a shame and and. Hopefully things don't go don't work out too bad, uh, but uh, but uh, hopefully there's a lesson in there as well for the future. Um, but yeah, I, th- yeah. <laughs> I don't think we have anything else uh, to add for this week. Like we said, Mo uh, press conference on Wednesday with with Jaume Raure Jaume Raure. I'm not sure how we pronounce his name. Um, who's in charge of Media Pro? Uh, and uh, we'll we'll see from there what happens. Uh, obviously, um, that's all uh, for this week. Well, it's a, a bit a bit of a longer show than usual. Uh, so hope you guys enjoyed that. Hope you stuck around till the end. And uh, we'll be back next week uh, with more. And there's obviously a preview show on Friday coming out as well. And uh, they'll have a blast talking about the Champions League, I'm sure. Uh, so thank you, Mo. Thank you, Phil. Thanks. And thank you, Eric. Thanks. And uh, thank you for listening.